Almost always what I do, and this is exactly what I'm doing this year with Mid-South, is that whenever my first race is, usually the first race is March, backpedal three months, and that's when I start base. And that way I've got three months of base training, and I'm done when I hit that first race. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast Powered by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Sabin, and this week we're answering questions on tips for collecting research, transitions in training specificity, and more discussions on base season race timing. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. With the holiday season among us, keep your eyes peeled for all those holiday deals to start coming online, and with all those savings you'll be doing, you can put extra funds towards building your nutrition inventory for next season. So head over to flowformulas.com today and make sure you use the discount code IgnitionPodcast10 for 10% off your first order. And as always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. If you have any questions for the show, drop us an email at matchboxpod at gmail.com with email title The Matchbox Podcast, or head over to Ignition Coach Co. and fill out the Matchbox Podcast listener question form. All right, let's get into it. Okay, first question this week. Dylan, I think you're going you're gonna to find this to be a fun question. Fun. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure we all will, but uh, it's kind of catered towards your nerdy research self. (laughs) Uh, So this one comes from from Joshua. Uh, He says, I am a high school senior and avid cyclist. Two years ago, I began structured training. Since I am fully self-funded cyclist, I do not want to spend the money to hire a coach just yet. So as a true Dylan Johnson at heart, I did research for myself. I listen to both the Matchbox podcast and many other cycling podcasts and YouTube videos every chance I got. 2,000 hours of listening in, and I'm happy to report that I've gone from an FTP of 200 watts and 3 watts per kilo in January of 2021 to 325 watts at 5.5 watts per kilo tested a few weeks ago. Holy cow. That's crazy. We better watch out. Josh is coming for us. (laughs) Uh, For my high school senior, or for my high school, I have have to write a 12 to 20 page senior thesis. The thesis makes a claim and supports it with a persuasive argumentation, presentation, and evidence. It is not simply a research paper, as it must make a point that someone can disagree with and argue towards. Uh, I would like to do my thesis on something training-related, hopefully expounding my knowledge as an athlete. Considering that I am a high school student, it will be difficult to read all of the studies and understand the cellular biology to the degree that I can explain it in layman's terms for the untrained individual. But guess what? So is structured training, and so is self-being coached, or being self-coached. So here are my questions. And then he's got actually a follow-up email too. So let me get through all of this before we dive into it. Uh, my, my questions are as follows. Do you have any advice for a relatively uneducated high schooler trying to tackle a very complex and scientific thesis topic? What should my topic be? I was considering comparing polarized and periodized training, but for no other reason than I can think of a better training-centric thesis topic. I would rather have a thesis topic that focuses more on polarized model rather than comparing it to as I feel I could learn more. But whatever my topic ends up being, it must be arguable and something that I can take a persuasive stance on. Three, three. do you have any specific resources like studies, systematic reviews, and or meta-analyses that you can point me towards or how to find them? Uh, thanks for your time. Five stars for the podcast, Joshua. And then hold on, he's got, he's got a follow-up. So... I says one more thing uh, to clarify. My idea was to compare polarized versus like the threshold slash sweet spot training. So that's, you know, what he's considering the period or pyramidal training. And then one more. Bear with me. 
Another follow-up on my senior thesis question. I have also I have narrowed it down to two topics. Okay, so now we're getting a little more specific here. A combination of both polarized and pyramidal training is the optimal training distribution for endurance sports performance. So that's that's topic number one. Or personalized coaching is superior to training plans for exercise performance. Of course, I would still be open to other topic suggestions, but here are my two main two at this point. And then he references a couple studies that he'd be drawing from. Mm. That's cool. I was literally just this weekend trying to find studies on his second topic of like trying to find scientific studies that say that coaching is better than training plans. Or what I came up with is to find the 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 terminology that I found in in the research articles was individual coaching versus self coaching. Uh, sure. And so I would say right off the bat that he's probably going to be able to find a lot more studies on his topic number one than he will on topic number two, because to get a very specific study that talks about self-coaching versus individual coaching in the realm of cycling or even athletics was, I was having a hard time finding that. Um, and so, but there's a lot of research and Dylan's done a lot of research on topic number one about the polarized training and Dylan can share his advice of like how to find that research and how to, mm-hmm. cause he's got a whole method that he's, he's taught me. So I'll let him tell, tell that part. Dude, I, I will say that if coaching is improves performance over self-coached, we seriously better watch out for Joshua because once he lands a coach, man, he is going to be coming for well, all that was us. the thing that I found in the research. This kid is a like, stud. I think it's so obvious that coaching is better than being in self-coached that it's hard to find an article that actually like shows that because everybody knows that coaching is better than self-coaching, <laughs> or at least that's what I came across. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd have to, I think, like you'd have to go back into some old studies from mm-hmm. like before even the 2000s of coaching versus self-coached. Because um, I feel like nowadays it's like, obviously coaching is better than self-coaching. Yeah. This guy sounds like me in high school. <laughs> Although I don't, think, I, I don't think I ever raised my FTP 125 watts in one year. So that's impressive. Um, yeah. What, what, uh, what grade is he in? Did he say? Uh, so he's a senior, senior now. Okay. So this is for his like yep. senior, seems like this is like his major senior project type thing. Yep. Yeah. So he, he has to present the topic uh, December 1st, he says, mm-hmm. and then the research paper and his uh, you know thesis statement is due in April. I think he would find the most resources, the most um, research on periodized versus pyramidal. Uh, I think that would be the yeah. easiest route it might not be the most interesting or the most exciting for him but it would definitely be well, a good it sounds like he actually is pretty interested in it so maybe it would be interesting for him i was gonna say that if you the two i i would either do um you know polarized versus sweet spot or you could do uh weight training for cyclists versus not weight training for cyclists there's mm-hmm. also a lot of research on that um the part that he talks about, it needs to be arguable. What what exactly does he mean by that? Like, are there going to be, is he going to present this in front of his class? And then what does his class need to like give a counter argument or something? 
Yeah, so he, he puts in here one of the requirements verbatim. So the thesis makes a claim and supports it with persuasive argumentation, mm-hmm. presentation, and evidence. It is not simply a research paper, as it must make a point that someone can disagree and argue with. Yeah, I mean, I I have a really hard time believing that anybody in your in your high school is going to be able <laughs> to argue with you about the nuances of polarized training. You're probably you're probably yeah, so, so much I more think... knowledgeable already than <laughs> anyone in your high school about that. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't I don't think he has to worry about that, but he still has to present it in such a way that if someone wanted to disagree and argue sure. with it, they could. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, okay, I gotcha. I, I, I think that you could do polarized versus sweet spot. I think that'd be a great route to go down. There's a ton of research on that. You could also do lifting versus not lifting for cyclists. There's also a ton of research on that. Uh, both of those topics, I think, in my personal opinion, if you look at the research... The answer is pretty conclusive. Um, you could go for something. You could go for a topic that's less conclusive if you wanted to kind of lean in more to this, you know, argue both sides type thing. Because there are plenty of cycling topics that the answer is not conclusive. There's there's a bunch of research that supports this side, and there's a bunch of research that supports that side. And it's like, you know, how you interpret the research, you could come up with a different answer. Um, but I, I personally think that those topics would both be good ones to uh, present. And so when, you, when you're talking about, you know, kind of going back to his question, he, you know, he said that to clarify, my idea was to compare polarized versus the threshold sweet spot training. Mm-hmm. Would that threshold sweet spot training, are you, are you swapping that in for pyramidal training? Like, are, are you considering those to be the same thing? Well, personally, I put polarized and pyramidal in the same category and part of the reason why i do that is because a lot of the research also puts polarized and pyramidal in the same category and then uh threshold slash sweet spot training is more that's that's the opposition to polarized i don't see pyramidal as the opposition to polarized because both of them have you spending a huge chunk of your training time at zone two whereas sweet spot or what the research the why why the research calls it threshold training it's not training at your threshold how cyclists understand it it's training in that gray area between your LT1 and your LT2 so kind of training sweet spot if you will sweet spot training how a lot of coaches prescribe it like you know trainer road for example uh and and a bunch of sweet spot coaches prescribe it is that you're probably doing most of your training, if not a huge chunk of your training at sweet spot zone, which is not what pyramidal is. Yeah. Yeah. And sweet spot would be just below that, you know, LT2 or what most people consider FTP. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, I think it could be, yeah, you know, interesting to, to see what he comes with. Did I, comes did up I with. answer every aspect of his question? I feel like that was such a long question. I might have missed something. Yeah, so, so, you know, another question would be, you know, guiding him on how to go about finding Oh, finding the research. Okay, so... The research articles, yep. I use PubMed and Google Scholar, and then when you use PubMed and Google Scholar to find research articles, you're going to have to, when you click on them, half the time, half the time they're open access and you can read the whole article for free, but half the time you have to pay to read the article. Don't pay to read the article. Take the link, go to SciHub, 
put it in Sci-Hub. Most likely you'll get the article for free and you can read it there. And if that sound if that sounds like real shady and it's it's you know like uh, I don't know it sounds like something illegal or or <laughs> whatever. Uh, most scientists are in favor of Sci-Hub because they don't want they want research to be open access to everyone, and it's it's these research journals that are kind of hoarding hoarding the research so that they can make money. So I don't see using Sci-Hub as unethical at all. The quickest way, yeah. And it, as a student, he might have access. That's to, true. Yeah, very to, true. Just you know, the quickest way to like get the access is to like. Every research article has a DOI, and I don't know what a DOI stands for, but it's kind of like a link, and you take that DOI and paste that into Sci-Hub, and that will like open up the article pretty quickly. And as far as like searching topics, like Dylan, how do you go about like figuring out what to actually type into the search bar? Yeah, I mean, so just as, as an example, if you're trying to do polarized versus sweet spot. What I would type in is training intensity distribution. There's a ton of research under training intensity distribution because that's kind of the key question that you're looking to answer is what is the optimal training intensity distribution? You can type in polarized, you can type in sweet spot, you can type in endurance training. I would type in probably 20 20 words or phrases that you think have to do with what you're trying to research. And I... I really try to look at every single, you can do this with some topics, most cycling related training topics you can do this with because there's not that much research. If you go down some avenues like nutrition or health, there's going to be so many, so many studies that you simply can't read them all. But with, with a lot of cycling research questions, you actually can look at every single study on the topic. And I keep going down the list of studies until there are no more studies relevant to whatever I'm researching. So that, that way I get a full grasp of, of kind of where the scientific consensus is on, on whatever I'm researching. And then obviously there, you know, a single study is not, uh, is not incredibly valuable if you want the full scope. Um, but if you look at um, uh, reviews or meta-analyses, then that'll give you a better idea of kind of, you know, where the balance of evidence lies for what you're researching. And I was going to say a good starting point for him would be to just go to your videos on periodized training because That's you true, leave yeah. the, you put the links to your the research articles that you use in those videos you put in the description. So he could just go to your description and exactly. use those five to 10 articles if he doesn't want to do his own research. So there's your shortcut. Yeah. Buddy. But, but we would encourage. You I would encourage you to do your own research. But you you can you can take a look at those uh, those links as well, the ones that I have under my videos. And same if he and Dylan, if he you, decides to do the, ahead, he can do the same thing because you have video on strength training, the argument for strength training for cycling as well. I think mm-hmm. he True. would have a fun time doing that as well because I think he would have more engagement from his class if this is like a real thesis defense. It, it would be easier for. An, you know, other high school kids to understand, like, or argue, well, you're a cyclist. Why do you need to strength train? Like, why do you need to lift if you're just riding your bike? I mean, it's hard enough to convince actual cyclists to to mm-hmm. strength train. So I think that might be a better risk. Yeah, stre- strength training might be a little bit more applicable to high school kids, maybe. Um, and, the co- and the coaching question that he said would be pretty, because like, 
all of his classmates or, or a lot of his classmates will be on a team that has a coach mm. and he is coming from the opposite side of being self-coached. And so he, could, true. he'd be arguing both sides of it and his, his classmates. Yeah. Like and, and he, he talks about with, you know, with the coaching related question, uh, he, he talks about, let's see, let me pull it back up. Uh, personalized coaching is superior to train to a training plan for exercise performance uh, you might you might even find that you need to generalize that a little bit more even. So, you know, exercise performance, I guess, you know, maybe you're looking at all aerobic or endurance sports in that case, you know, so you're not looking at j- just for <laughs> cycling studies. Um, you know, the more broad you can get with that, probably the more information you're going to find on that topic. Because like, Drew, you were you were saying like you, you try to do some extensive research yeah. on that topic. Well, just, and I don't know if you were just looking at cycling or if you were also opening it up to um, like any aer- aerobic sports. Well, I went even broader than that. Like most of the the few articles that I found that were like getting towards what I was trying to find was just goal attainment. Um, and sure. so like one of the articles that I read a lot on was about procrastination. So it wasn't, it had nothing to do with athletics or training, Okay, but it was more about like, like having a coach versus trying to do something on your own and like whether or not you can actually acquire those goals solo or with a coach. That's like, that's like even more broad. Yeah. Yeah. So even opening it up to, you know, beyond sports performance, you know, might, might be beneficial there. Uh, cool. Any, anything else to add for Joshua here? Mm-hmm. No, I just hope he, he sends us a follow up. I, yeah. I was about to say he can he send us his uh his final his final uh final cut so we can check it out. Yeah, cool. yeah, that'd be awesome. I uh, can't promise we will read the entire thing on the air, but uh, we will <laughs> yeah, certainly yeah. <laughs> certainly read through it and that'll that'll be cool to to see a, f- a follow up there. Okay, speaking of follow ups, we did get a follow up email from a uh, past listener submitted question. This one comes from Adam. So Adam says, I am the 15-year-old triathlete and cross-country racer that emailed you guys a couple months ago. First off, I'd like to preface this by saying that listening to the podcast and with minimal training going on into the XC season helped me get fourth place overall in the 10th grade division for the Maryland NICA League uh, in 34th out of 128 at the NICA East Coast Regionals. So that's pretty awesome. Because uh, if you guys remember... He's a triathlete first and then kind of cross-country racer mm. second. So we were offering some advice on how he could still, you know, up, uphold his cross-country goals while dedicating, you know, most, most of his training to triathlon. So here's my follow-up questions. What are some good interval sessions that I could put into my bike training to build endurance for triathlon while also increasing power for mountain biking? Uh, we can start with that one. Um, okay, so... I, I forget this person's original question. He wants to, he, he's in his original question. Was he also asking about how to train for both triathlon and XC at the same time? Yeah. But, but specifically he was, you know, he was entering into the cross country season. So he was trying to figure out like, how can I, uh, you know, cater my bike training towards cross country mountain bike racing while still maintaining his form, you know, in triathlon and you know, I, th- I think the triathlon is kind of the broader picture. Here. I remember this. I think we explained to him first and foremost that all of the energy su- systems support each other, and he's doing two types of aerobic activities. So already, that's a good thing. Um, and I think we might have talked about workouts before, but a good one um, 
one that you actually prescribed to me a lot was tempo with sprints. So it was extended time in mm-hmm. tempo, but we would throw sprints in there because for the cross country, he is talking about cross country mountain biking, right? Yeah. Yes. You need to. Have- yeah. Not to be confused with running. <laughs> <laughs> you need to have those, um, that, that time and shorter intensity. So. Yeah. So, and just to go back to it. So the, the triathlons that he's training for range from two to six hours and he's currently training for a half Ironman in the spring. So in April, mm-hmm. roughly. Uh, so that's, that's why, you know, he was still focused on triathlon training while he was racing cross country mountain bike. Cause he's got this, you know, big half iron man that he's, that he's so, training and for. The, the Nika cross country mountain bike season is in the fall, correct? Yeah. It just yeah. ended. Okay. So yeah. this is kind of perfect because now he can focus on triathlon until the spring. And I don't know what his summer racing schedule looks like, but maybe he could transition over to training for cross country mountain biking in the late summer slash fall. Yeah. So, and that's what I was going to say is, you know, I know he wants to increase his power output for cross country racing, but, uh, just all the aerobic conditioning that you're doing is going to translate over kind of like Caitlin, you were saying, we, we mentioned last time it's, you know, you're still training your aerobic system. It's just the specificity of which sport and which discipline you're trying to cater some of the nuances towards. Um, but it's not like the training that you're doing for the bike on the tri- on triathlon isn't going to transfer over at some point when you start focusing back on the mountain bike. Um, I mean, what, what kind of, you know, so, so, you know, transitioning out of, cross country racing and now he's got four months basically to prepare for his half Ironman. Mm. Uh, I mean, what, what kind of intervals would you guys prescribe to an iron, you know, half Ironman triathlete, you know, so we're talking 54, right. Or 56 mile bike ride. Mm-hmm. So, you know, call it two and a half. Well, for a race like hours. that, his number one goal for, for that specific of a race would be to be able to sustain as close as he can to his threshold for mm-hmm. what what do you say two and a half hours three hours so the yeah higher, two and a half to three hours like the higher of a percentage of his ftp that he can hold for two and a half hours is is like the primary goal so i would say that it would look a lot like a normal base season of like he obviously should take a break i think that should be like the first thing he does is take a break after the cross-country season if he hasn't already and then it'd be a lot of volume a lot of tempo and then a lot of threshold I don't think he needs to do maybe a little bit of like over the threshold, but I would say the bulk of his training between now and that half Ironman would be threshold and below and just trying to increase the amount of time and zone between those two things, tempo and threshold. But ultimately, like if he's doing two and a so half what hours, point? hopefully he can hold like, I don't know, like 90% of his FTP for that long. Is that too crazy to think? No, that seems reasonable. I mean, that's that's what I would <clears throat> would expect. At what point do you transition from trying to raise an athlete's FTP to trying to uh, increase the percentage of FTP that could be held for a given period of time? No, I think those things will both go up, won't they? Depending on the type of training. The, but the, the the training is a little bit different mm-hmm. for for those two. I would argue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I so I think that. Training for a long-distance triathlon, you could argue, is not terribly dissimilar to training for a long-distance gravel race, where for for the vast majority of people competing, it's a very steady effort, and it's a long effort, so it's sub-threshold, mostly. Um, I think, like Drew said, your race-specific efforts are actually 
long tempo efforts, uh, sweet spot efforts. And I, I, I want to just clarify this because I just said sweet spot efforts and so many people get this confused. Uh, like I'll, I'll put on my Strava or something that I did a sweet spot workout and then people will comment, Dylan, I thought you hated sweet spot. And uh, I'm just thinking you, you need to go back and rewatch that video. I don't hate the sweet spot zone just in general. What, what the research suggests is not optimal is is doing the majority of your training time in sweet spot. If you that's that's what that's essentially what pyramidal training is is you're throwing some sweet spot in there, you're throwing some tempo in there, you're throwing some, you know, sub threshold work in there, but still the vast majority of your training time is zone 2. Uh and I think that a pyramidal approach for a tri- a long distance triathlete makes sense and I would throw in um kind of traditional high intensity cycling workouts like VO2 max or 3030s only probably in the last two to three weeks leading into the event, just as a last minute tune up um, to kind of, you know, squeeze every little bit of fitness that you can out of your body. Sure. Yeah. And you know, one thing that I would throw out there too, is coming off of this cross country mountain bike season, you know, I'm assuming that most of your intensity work has been on the, on the bike. And I think we actually recommended that in the last episode where we touched on his, his first question where, you know, if you're trying to get really specific to a discipline, like you've got to do work that's specific to that discipline. So, you know, that would have been a lot of, you know, high intensity intervals on his mountain bike. So transitioning into, you know, this longer format of, of racing and, and training for that, I, I would actually try to switch to doing at least one, if not two of your intensity sessions a week on one of those other disciplines. Maybe not swimming. It depends on your competency in the pool, um, but for sure running because you can then use the bike to just build your volume without, you know, with while still preventing injury. So, you know, you're not going to go out and do a three or four hour endurance run too easily. I mean, most people can't do that. So, you know, taking advantage of the fact that you can get big volume from the bike and then you can get your sprinkle and your intensity with some of the other modalities and, and, you know, assuming that you've probably neglected to do some of that over the last few months for a good reason, you know, so that'd be something to consider too is, you know, can you take some of that, you know, maybe it's still some of that sweet spot or, or, you know, tempo style running workouts, but doing that, you know, on the run instead of doing all of your work on the bike, because I think. I think you've probably got enough bike, you know, cycling conditioning at this point where, you know, that'll kind of help propel you through the next three or four months. Uh, but you're probably lacking in some of the speed work on some of the other, in the other arenas. Nailed it. Uh, sweet. Wait, so what, okay. So this, wait, I do have a follow-up question. You guys said, yeah. how, how, how would it look different if you're trying to increase your time of, or percentage of threshold versus raise your threshold? Uh, so I would say doing work so for me like if i'm trying to if i if i have an athlete that we're trying to increase the amount of time they can spend at threshold or just below threshold like let's say they're doing a race that has like 30 minute climbs in it so like you want to be able to do like a high percentage of your threshold and kind of repeat that um i would have them doing work progressing the duration of time spent at at threshold Mm -hmm. 
uh, and doing a lot of work kind of like right at threshold. Whereas if I'm like trying to raise someone's FTP, I'm probably doing more work above threshold okay. than like right at or below threshold. Okay. You know, so doing like shorter threshold with like, you know, increasing the amount of time spent just over threshold or, you know, low VO2 max okay. versus, you know, a ton of time at tempo through, you know, low threshold uh, where you're just trying to increase the amount of time that you're able to spend at that. Yeah. I kind of thought that's what you were going to say. So like the argument for like yep. pushing your FTP up from the bottom versus like pulling it up from the top. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so these last uh, couple questions here are actually kind of follow-ups uh, to to our, our question from last week. So I wanted to kind of touch on them, let them know that we're answering them. We might have a little bit of you know input here, but then I think we're going to lean on our answer from last week. Uh, so the first one is from Tyler, and I'm just going to actually read both of these, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, so Tyler says, I'll be racing the True Grit 100 in the middle of my base season next year. Should I set up my season so that the race is at the end of a training block just before the recovery week, or at the end of the recovery week just before the start of another three-week training block? Okay, so that one's from Tyler, and then this next one's from Kyle. It's kind of similar. Uh, so quick question here, when planning out your season with four-week blocks, assuming you're only doing one-week tapers, would you schedule a race for the end of the fourth week reco- fourth recovery week and use that as your taper? Uh, on the same note, for A-priority races where you might not necessarily need a two-week taper, should you schedule your last build block to end a week early anyways, just to build in a cushion for time potentially lost due to illness or injury, and should you not need the cushion in the in the end is it okay to keep on doing three and a half to four weeks of build before tapering instead of a typical three-week build prior to recovery uh so the first question very much from tyler we we talked about last week of how to i think it was even in the title of of the podcast so you know how do you plan for races that take place in the middle of 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 the base season and you know where do you place that race kind of within the block so uh do you guys do you guys want to answer that one? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to what we were talking about last week. If I've I I I prefer to have races in the base season after a recovery week. So at the end of a recovery week. Um if you've got um it, the the issue with having them anywhere else either at the you know in the middle of a of a block that's already going on is that it's probably going to take away from your training. Um because the recovery from that race is going to take more time than a normal training session. And then you're kind of eating into your, your training. Yeah. And you know, one, one thing I want to put out there too, is the true grit 100 Dylan, have you done the true grit? Cause that was part of yeah. the NUE series. Yeah. That's a hard race. Yeah. Right. So just, you just have to keep in mind, like if you're going to put it at the end of your recovery week, you have to just, Give yourself a little grace period after yeah. that to know that, that you might need a couple extra days to recover before you, because you don't want to start your three week training block on the back foot where you're already in a state of fatigue. Yeah. So just something now, to keep this, in mind there. This isn't always possible, but my personal preference with myself and, and I I've coached athletes and I know I, I get it, you know, the race season, race season starts so early and race season for almost everyone starts before base season ends. But my personal preference for myself and this is actually how I schedule it for my own race season is I don't do any racing until I am done with base season. That's because you don't do enough base season. 
I do. I do. <laughs> I don't do cross, man. I don't. Do, I don't do cross. I do plenty of bass. True. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in you can't like it. Like, let's say for you, Dylan, like the start of your race season is probably going to be mid south, yeah. right? So mid March. You can't control when that date mm-hmm. is. Like mid south is going to be mid March yeah. every year. What you can control is when you start your base right. season to lead up to that, mm-hmm. right? So you have to kind of work backwards. You can't just get halfway through your base season and realize like, oh, shoot, Mid-South is yeah. coming up. I'm not done with my base season yet. Like you have to plan for that well in advance. And that might mean taking your off season in October instead of November so that you can get back to training mid-November or December. Right. You know, like you have to kind of you have to think about it six months almost, or so in advance. Yeah. Of kind of when you're going to almost always that. what I do. And this is exactly what I'm doing this year with Mid-South is that whenever my first race is usually the first race is March. Uh, almost always the first race is March. And I think that True Grit is in March, but I could be wrong about that. Yeah. It is, yep. Almost always what I do is I, whenever the first race is, I backpedal three months and that's when I start base. And that way I've got three months of base training and I'm done when I hit that first race. Yeah. And just because you're coming in with base season fitness, like doesn't mean that you shouldn't expect to go and still perform decently well at mid-south mm-hmm. right i mean like you're not going there to just have a good time like you're still going to go there and try to perform so yeah, i'm going there to be you know, it's, it's be okay dizzle. to go in <laughs> yeah <laughs> good luck uh so so quick here you know jumping back over to third there, kyle's right? question Don't forget <laughs> I got third there. it's true um i think every time i've done that know, race i've gotten a higher position than you have not true uh when you did the double i beat you Okay, I didn't make not. a big deal about it because I know you did the double. Technically, but... I won that year. I got first place in the category I was racing. I got first. That's the o- that's actually the only time we've ever even done it together. So I don't know where you got every this. other year I've done it. I got third and seventh, which is better than you did every time you've done it. That's me. Yeah, but when you did the double, you got what fiftieth place? No, thirty fifth. Right, this is. This is pretty good. This is spiraling into a bonk bros conversation. <laughs> let's let's continue. It is. All right. Well, I was going to say uh, what we were talking about there, and I think a lot a lot of athletes need to think about this a lot more than what they do think about it is the question of like how much do I alter my training versus how much do I alter my race calendar? I feel like some people think their race calendar cannot be altered. It's like these are the races I'm doing and it's set in stone. But like what Dylan is saying is you can have a lot more flexibility with your race calendar. You don't have to do that race. That's in February. You Mm -hmm. might want to do that race. That's in February, but it might be better for your overall goals for the whole season to not do that race in February and focus on training. Yeah. And that's why you pick a races, right? I mean, that's why you should only have a handful of a races a year at most, you know, two to three that you're truly basing your whole training structure around and then the rest of the races kind of fall into place and you have the decision to make of like, do I still do that race even if I'm not prepared or if I'm not as far into my training or if it, you know, conflicts with something else within my training? You know, those A races, you might say like those are locked in. Yeah. But you pick those based on like, if you know you can't finish your base season by the end of February, then you don't pick an A race that in february well, i'm right? saying like, even the b you, and the c races in february if those b and yeah. c races compromise your training and if you're training for the a race that's in may or june if you're compromising yeah. your training as early as february then maybe that's bad bad training you know what i mean or at least 
I would consider skipping more race. I think people should consider skipping more races than what they do. Maybe and that's what Dylan sure. is kind of saying is like, yeah, especially with these longer races, you've got it's to, one thing to go hop into your local crit or something, but yeah, yeah. you've got to prioritize training. If you're serious about your A goals, you have to prioritize training. And I think, yeah, agreed. Well, Hey, let's, let's actually, cause, cause I think Kyle's question, I mean, it's, it's along similar lines, but there's a couple more nuances in there. Let's push that to next week. Cause I want to make sure we give that plenty of time. So Kyle, if you're listening, we're going to get back to answering your question next week. Um, but I think, I think we'll wrap it up here for today. Cool. Sweet. Cool. Thanks guys. Yep. Have a good holiday yep. week. You too. We'll catch you back here next week. See ya. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to matchboxpod at gmail.com with email titled the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn more about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch you all soon. Let's go! Can I trust my coach? That's a good question. And we believe that you should totally be asking that question if you're working with a coach. And when it comes to the coaches at Ignition Coach Co., I like to say the proof is in the pudding. Every single one of our coaches has high levels of racing experience. Or in other words, our coaches are fast. And if they're fast, then they can make you fast too. I mean, come on. Who do you want to be your coach? The guy with a clipboard on the sidelines or the guy with his hands in the air crossing the finish line? I don't know about you, but I'm going with the winner. Sign up for coaching today at ignitioncoachco.com.